Ego Sumvia podcast with me, Father Andrew Eber. As always, I invite you to begin by joining with me in prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grant us, O Lord our God, a mind to know you, a heart to seek you, wisdom to find you, conduct pleasing to you, faithful perseverance in waiting for you, and a hope of finally embracing you. Through Christ our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This week's topic is how to make it easier to meet Jesus Christ. At the heart of the Christian faith, as Pope Benedict once said, and as I never get tired of repeating, is not a set of dogma, a philosophy, or an ethical program, but an encounter with a person, the person of Jesus Christ. And it is a transformative encounter that leaves the after quite different from the before. So how do we make it easier for that encounter to take place? Well, we can start by looking to the Gospels for inspiration. There are in the Gospels numerous examples of these transformative encounters, and you can reel off a list very quickly. So here's a list straight off the top of my head. of The woman caught in adultery, the thief on the cross, Matthew, the tax gatherer, the disciples on the road to Emmaus, St. Paul on the road to Damascus. All of them utterly transformative encounters which mean that life afterwards simply cannot be the same, a life that has been directly touched by the hand of God himself. They are, however, quite different lives. And for our purposes, we might say that what they have in common is how hard they are to imitate. If you were to try to engineer an encounter with Jesus Christ, you wouldn't necessarily choose to follow one of these models or indeed even be able to. Let's take my examples one by one. The woman caught in adultery. Should I engineer public disgrace and condemnation for a grave sin in order to have that life-changing encounter with Jesus Christ? The thief on the cross. Should I engineer a life of crime? and get myself condemned to capital punishment, so that in the last moments of my hitherto misspent existence, I can have that transformative encounter with Jesus Christ. And how about Matthew the tax gatherer? Should I pursue an entire career of dubious morals and public opprobrium in order to meet and be summoned to life by Jesus Christ? Then the disciples on the road to Emmaus, can I somehow arrange to walk away from my faith and my devotion to Christ in deep despair and disillusion in order that he might then begin to walk with me unawares and so convince me of his resurrected glory and his Eucharistic presence? Or finally, St. Paul on the road to Damascus. Now, this might be tempting. Should I organise a persecution of my local church, arresting believers, even conniving at their execution in order that Jesus can then throw me to the ground in blindness and call me to serve him. You see the problem. You see how difficult this engineering is. So I have another example. 
The example is from the very beginning of the Gospels, and it is an example that is more simple, more beautiful, and more open to us all. The example is Mary, and I'm thinking particularly of the Annunciation and of Mary's encounter with divine life, both in the form of the angel Gabriel and in the conception within her of Jesus Christ. How do we imitate this encounter in our lives? Of course, let's be honest from the start, there are limits to what we might imitate. The Second Vatican Council, after all, talks about Mary's uniqueness, about the splendor of her entirely unique holiness, and about the uniqueness of her redemption, full of grace from the moment of her conception. And what is unique, you might point out, is by nature inimitable. But the fullness of grace in Mary, unique as it is, expresses itself in pragmatic, down-to-earth instances, and these, I hope you'll agree, we certainly can hope to imitate. The practical instance I want to focus on today is Mary's prayerfulness. If you see a medieval or perhaps a Renaissance painting of the Annunciation, you may notice that very often the painter portrays Mary at prayer, with a prayer book in her hand. Now, a literal-minded soul I'm trying not to use the word pedant here, a literal-minded soul might object that this detail is not found in the Gospels. We're not told exactly what Mary is doing, and to be sure, prayer books, indeed books of any kind, simply don't exist in the first century AD. The portrayal of Mary at prayer as the angel arrives is not, however, merely a pious fiction. It shows rather an artistic fidelity, a complete fidelity to Mary's nature. Mary is a woman of prayer. We know that Mary is a woman of prayer because at the key moments of her life she naturally expresses herself in prayer. That's what the Magnificat is all about, this outpouring of praise and gratitude to God in prayer. So the depiction of Mary in prayer at the very moment of the Annunciation is the depiction of Mary as she is. This is what Mary does. It also reveals the context for her encounter with the divine. Prayer is the prelude to the Annunciation. It's not that prayer makes the Annunciation possible, it's that prayer is the necessary prelude, the necessary setting or backdrop to that encounter with the divine. Prayer makes it possible to hear the angel's arrival and to respond fully. Perhaps this observation is clearer if, by way of comparison, we skip forward a few years to Jesus' meeting with Martha and Mary, the sisters of Lazarus. And if, as a little exercise, we imagine how they might have responded to the Annunciation. Well, Martha, for her part, clearly would have been too busy to notice the angel, too distracted by her tasks and responsibilities and too absorbed in them, too weighed down to lift her head and notice this divine messenger. And if she had noticed, she probably wouldn't have paid much attention, because it would have meant interrupting the schedule of heavy works she had already laid down for herself to fill the day. 
the other sister, Mary, however, Mary the contemplative, Mary who has chosen the better part, who has chosen to sit attentively and wait on the Lord. Mary would have been ready. Are you and I ready? That's the question. Because that readiness is our responsibility to make ourselves ready for the Lord, for our encounter with him, through prayer and through the attentiveness of prayer. So if we ask ourselves how we might imitate the example of Mary in making possible that transformative encounter with Jesus Christ, one answer, one very simple answer, is prayer. Ordinary, humble, regular, daily prayer. Prayer is the heartbeat of my life, quiet and constant. Or if we use an image drawn from gardening, prayer is the ordinary, humble tilling of the garden of the soul, which makes possible the encounter with the divine, just as the ordinary, humble tilling of my garden soil at home makes possible the unhindered blooming of flowers. I can't expect extraordinary things to happen in my garden if I don't get the ordinary jobs right. It's also a reminder to us that we should learn to rest and rely, as Mary does, on the ordinary and the humble. He looks on his servant in her lowliness, Mary says about God. He raises up the lowly. God, we need always remind ourselves, is not drawn by the grand gesture or the dramatic achievement. God is drawn to and seeks to come into communion with the lowly. So often the spiritual life is about getting the little things right. If we get the little things right, as Mary does, the greater things will be given. If, however, we spend our time straining after the greater things, wondering why the miracle hasn't happened, frustrated that our heroic efforts don't bear fruit, then the transformation is likely to be a negative one. Our faith becomes tainted by our disappointment and twisted by the weight of our unmet expectations. So, if you find yourself asking why that encounter with Jesus Christ hasn't happened, if you find yourself asking, perhaps in frustration or anxiety, where is Jesus in my life? The answer might be to rephrase the question and to ask more simply, where is my prayer life? Am I making time to pray? Am I making it a priority to set aside time every day just to pray ordinary, humble, everyday prayers, whether that's the rosary or the chaplet of divine mercy or one of the hours from the Liturgy of the Hours, which you can follow on an app like Universalis. Giving that regular time in prayer, in order, little by little, to make possible the transformative encounter with Jesus Christ, in order to make his life fruitful within us, as it is within Mary, and in order to be able to share him and his love with the world, as Mary does. Amen. Thank you so much for being with me this week. Do remember to click the follow button and follow this podcast if you don't do so already. Do get in touch. 
with any comments or questions or suggestions and that email address again is andrew.eburn at rcdea.org.uk and I'll upload another episode next week and look forward to joining you then. Let's end then as usual with the prayer of our Lord. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. And may Almighty God bless you all, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.